announcement. We're going to be in Genesis mainly 27, but if you were here last week, I did leave us two verses on the table because the two verses were about Esau, and the whole night tonight is mostly about Esau. So we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 26, and that'll be verse 34 and 35. Then we'll get started in 27 with a lot of stuff about Esau and Jacob. So here's what 34 says. So chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beri the Hittite, and also Basimoth, daughter of Elon the Hittite. So two pagan Hittite wives. Don't miss that. Because look what 35 says. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. They grieved his parents. But I would make the case they didn't just grieve his parents, they grieved the Lord. The command or the instruction hadn't come about yet, but we already know that, you know, Abraham didn't want his boys marrying pagan wives. Esau kind of did it anyway. And two weeks ago, I think it was, Pastor Norm touched on a verse out of Romans about Esau. And I want to go a little deeper tonight on it. It was Romans 9.13. Here's what it says. Maybe you've read this verse, you've wondered about it, because it can be a tough one to understand sometime. Romans 9.13 says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. You ever heard that one and wondered why? Well, if you go back a couple of verses prior to that one, it says while they're in, they were in the womb before they had done anything, this is how God viewed Esau. And I've heard people, mainly people that want to question our faith, why would your God do that? They hadn't even been born yet. Well, let me give you a little backstory on Esau. We'll see some of it tonight, but we already saw two things he did right here. He didn't follow what I would call the family values. He already has two pagan wives that are Hittites that were having false gods that would really rub off on Esau down the road. He also lived for the moment. He had no breaks. He was an impulse guy. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we also studied where he traded the birthright for a bowl of stew. Didn't ask God, he just did it. So he was very impulsive, did his own thing. Tonight, we're going to learn as we study our text further, he doesn't have any integrity either because eventually he's going to want to kill Jacob. He has murder on his mind and murder on his heart. But those are, in a way, your opinions. And I already made a case last week about our opinions, remember? Our opinions don't matter. God's do. Let's see what God's word. Let's go to the real authority. Don't listen to me. What does God's word say about Esau? We'll read it together on screen. Hebrews 12, 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. So God's word calls Esau godless. My opinion doesn't matter, but that one does. So that tells you why God makes those strong statements against Esau. Then it goes on to tell us what he did, but we already know that part. For a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. But it's more important that he's godless. In other words, he doesn't really obey God, believe in God, follow God. And here's another way, I think, a, in my mind, a better way to look at it. Don't think of it as God hating Esau especially before he was born. Think of God hating what Esau would become, what he would become, because he does not become a very good person, and we'll see that over and over tonight. Because God is outside of time. He knew 
we would come to our saving grace and faith in Jesus Christ before we were born. He also knows people like Esau, no matter how many chances they get, no matter how many times they heard the gospel, it wouldn't matter if Jesus showed up and talked to Esau face to face, he wouldn't believe. He was godless. And also I would encourage us all, we have to trust God that he's the righteous judge. It's not like God's going to punish him unfairly, is he? No. He's fair. He's just. So God just knows what we don't. He knows our heart. He knows Esau's heart. And it's written in Scripture that he's godless. So, 27. Chapter 27, verse 1. More about Isaac and Esau and Jacob. It says now in verse 1, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak he could no longer see, Remember, there's no glasses back then, no contacts, no LASIK. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. More on that in a second. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, because he was a, a very excellent hunter. Go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I can give you my blessing before I die. It almost sounds like he's on his deathbed, doesn't it? does to me as I read this, but Bible historians have done the research, not me, some of those famous old dead guys. They have looked this up. He's going to live 40 more years. He's not really on his deathbed. He wants some barbecue is what he wants. We'll see that in a minute. But he also doesn't listen to God. That's the more important part. We know back from our chapter before, remember, the older will serve the younger. Isaac is trying to illegally give him a blessing that it's not his to give. He didn't listen to God, apparently, and if he did listen, he doesn't trust God or believe in God because I think he just, in my mind, he feels like Esau should have the blessing. Even though God said he shouldn't, I feel. Remember that one from the last week? Our feelings usually get us into trouble, which is our first main point if you're taking notes tonight. God's word always, 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 always overrides my and your feelings. What I feel is really irrelevant especially when it goes against what God already told him. The, the older will serve the younger. He can't give that blessing. He's got no right to, but he's determined to. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. And, and by the way, Jacob is kind of a mama's boy. He's not the hunter. He's not the outdoorsman. He more cooks in the kitchen, helps around the house. He's a little frail compared to his brother. Maybe that's why dad was trying to do this. Still doesn't make it right. So Rebecca tells Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So here's the good part. Rebecca did listen. She heard God promise that the older would serve the younger. So maybe in her mind she thinks she's doing the right thing. 
But the bad, that was the good. She listened. The bad is she's going to try to help God out. God doesn't need our help. How'd that work out for Sarah and Abraham when they helped God with Hagar? It was a giant mess. She's going to try to help God and make another giant mess tonight. Verse 8, here comes her plan. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so he may give you his blessing before he dies. So once again, we have kind of a good and a bad right here. The good part is Rebecca knows exactly what her husband likes. She speaks his love language, which is tasty food. He called it tasty food. I'm just repeating what he said. But here's the bad. She's going to use that knowledge to deceive him. She's going to use it for sort of selfish gain. And as I was studying, I found us a good quote. Every now and then it's good to see a Spurgeon quote, don't you think? Let's look at one. It's been a while since I put one up, I think. Let's look at a Spurgeon quote about this exact situation. Rebecca erred in trying to get the promised blessing for Jacob. Here's the point for us to remember. We had better leave the Lord's decrees in the Lord's hands. In other words, as I said a while ago, Dave's version, God doesn't need our help. He's smarter than us, more powerful than us. We're puny in his sight. We're just foolish humans. Why in the world do these people in Genesis keep trying to help God? Um, we should learn a lesson, though. It should keep us from repeating that mistake. That's the beauty of the Old Testament, the New Testament. Sometimes people wonder, you know, why do you guys teach the Old Testament so much? So we can learn lessons like this. You can learn from mistakes, especially from other people, so we don't make the same one. So don't try to help God in your own life. Let's keep reading, verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man. He's the stronger, bigger outdoorsman guy, remember? Well, I have smooth skin. Mama's boy. What if, what if my father touches my arm, my smooth skin? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Now, we hadn't talked about his name yet. I think Norm did a couple of weeks ago. His literal name translates to heel catcher, heel catcher. To us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. We know the story when he was born. He came out grabbing his brother's heel. But heel catcher is really what in, in grammar is called an idiom. You know what an idiom is? We studied it a few months ago, I think, when I was teaching. So we're going to refresh our memory because we don't study grammar very much on the pulpit, do we? Well, tonight we are, just for a second. Sorry for your luck. An idiom is a common phrase that's used in conversation but its meaning is literally completely different from what is apparent. Completely different. It means nothing like what it sounds like. This heel catcher is an idiom. We have a lot of those in English, you just don't realize it. For example, let me give you two. And there's a long list I could have used. If I told one of you, you're pulling my leg, does that really mean you're up here yanking on my pants? No, it means you're teasing me. Or what if I told somebody else, you know, you're trying to stop me, you're trying to tell me something, and I tell you, I've got bigger fish to fry. Am I really going to go cook a meal for us? 
No, I've got something more important to deal with. Those are both idioms in English language. Why am I telling you all this? Because it'll make sense in a second. If then heel catcher is an idiom, if the people of the day heard heel catcher, they wouldn't have thought what we do, heel catcher. That's kind of a weird name. What they would have immediately thought of was what it meant to them in their culture. It means he who takes advantage of another or we shorten it sometime into deceiver. You ever heard his name being used as deceiver? Well, the literal name is heel catcher. The idiom translates, though, to deceiver. We'll see him being the deceiver for the couple of weeks in a row now. But it also kind of starts to paint us a great picture of his character because those verses I just read, he's really okay with his mom's plan to trick dad He's okay, in other words, of being a deceiver. What he's not okay with, remember in that verse, he says, what if I get caught? He doesn't care about being a trickster. He cares about getting busted for it. And then he's kind of worried about selfish gain. If I get caught, he more says, I will lose my blessing. It's going to turn into a curse. He's really saying, it's all about me. I'm going to lose here if I get busted, mom. So look what his mom says in verse 13. My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. What a great mom. What a great advice. Go get them for me. Go get these goats. What she's really saying is, don't listen to God. Don't ask God. Just do what I say, boy. It's not good advice. Let's see how it plays out. Verse 14. So he went out. He listens to his mom. Remember, he's mama's boy. He went out and got them, the goats, brought them to his mother. She prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca, she's going to carry it further. She took the best clothes of Esau, the older son, which she had in the house. They probably smell more like the outdoors, the field, maybe some sweat, who knows. She put them on her younger son, Jacob. Then she also, it says in 16, covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. To me, that's a little strange only because, not the goat skin, but it looks to me like they just killed them. They wouldn't have had time to tan them, prep them. So in my picture, I picture a bunch of bloody goat skins on him, you know. Maybe, maybe I'm off base. Maybe it was an old goat skin they had in the closet. I don't know. Either way, they're up to no good. They're trying to trick dad with it. Then she handed... Um, to her son Jacob, the tasty food, the bread. So three things we can kind of notice about what's going on right this moment. Rebecca is kind of front and center of the whole mess. She's orchestrating all the, the pieces of this plot. She's using Jacob. She's using Isaac. But Isaac at least doesn't know he's being used. Jacob knows she's using him and he don't care. He just wants the selfish gain. What a messed up family. They're all manipulating and tricking and doing crazy stuff, and we'll see that play out more and more tonight as we keep reading. As I was reading this, it kind of brought back an old movie I saw when I was a kid called The Godfather. Remember that movie? This is like the mafia. It's in the Bible, but it's like the mafia. Or maybe you never saw that movie. Maybe, you know, you watch what I used to call soap operas. Anybody ever seen a soap opera? This is a biblical soap opera right here. 
Everybody's plotting, tricking, deceiving. They're all up to no good. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. He went to his father, this is Jacob, and said, yes, yes, my son, who is it? Jacob says to his father, who goes to lie, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game. That's just to get ready what he really wants so that you can give me your blessing. So Jacob is now, he's gone all in. He's dressed up in clothes. He's put goatskins on. He's lying. There's no turning back now. Um, but in his defense, I tried to think as I was studying, what could I come up with as a sort of a, an excuse? Well, he likely knew that he was promised to be over his brother. His mom, I'm sure, would have told him that, being the mama's boy. So maybe he thinks it's okay because he knows God's promise that the older will serve the younger. But it brings up our second main point if you're taking notes tonight. Having a godly goal never excuses sinful behavior. Never, 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 never. In other words, how we get there, our methods, our motives, that's what matters to God. God never condones simple behavior to get to what we would call a spiritual result. God doesn't need our help, remember? He'll make it happen anyway, but it'll be his way. So he's really got no excuse is the bottom line. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Isaac asked his son, how'd you find it so quickly? In other words, I just told you to go do this. You're already back and it's ready and it's cooked. It smells good. How'd you do that? Here's where he really goes, I think, further down the road of evil. The Lord, your God. Your God. Not my God, your God. Don't miss that. Gave me success. So now he's kind of slandered God's name and drawn him into the mess. God had nothing to do with this. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you. He probably knows, see, here's his idiom. He knows heel catcher means deceiver. Come over here, let me touch you, boy. You're the trickster. I know you. I got to touch you to see. His vision's bad. We already learned that. To know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Well, here's the sad truth, though. When Jacob said, God, God did it. God provided. God did already do it. He already promised the older would serve the younger. The promise has already been promised. Jacob is trying to acquire something really that's already his. There's no reason to be doing any of this. He's trying to obtain something he literally already owns. Keep reading, 22. So Jacob, he, he does go close. He went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are hairy like Esau's. I guess he didn't know what goats felt like. He did not recognize him as being Jacob, for his hands were hairy like of those of his brothers. So he proceeded to bless him. But he's, as he's blessed him, he asks him one more time. He gives him one more chance to do the right thing. Are you really my son, Esau? I'm suspicious you're not, but are you really him? What's his answer? I am. I am. He's not the great I am. He's just poor old lying I am. So look what Isaac does. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so I can give you my blessing. 
Now, we don't get this because culturally we don't really do birthrights and blessings, but culturally for them, those two things were intertwined. They weren't separable. In other words, the firstborn, the birthright, the thing Esau traded for a bowl of stew, the blessing goes with that. It's like what I would call a package deal. Esau already gave it away. He already traded that. Isaac is willing to give it back, and Isaac knows he traded it, by the way. We learned that a couple of chapters ago. Why is Isaac willing to give back what he shouldn't? Barbecue. I want that barbecue. His love for barbecue almost is overriding his desire to love God and follow God's will. In a way, I could make a case it's like father, like son. Remember what Esau traded his birthright for? A bowl of stew. They both, Esau and Isaac, seem to be focused more on food than they are on God. You might even call Esau a chip off the old block. That would be an idiom, by the way, because an idiom has nothing to do with chopping wood. Anyway, let's keep reading. The second half of 25, I didn't finish 25 yet. So look, look what happens next. Jacob brought it to him, this tasty barbecue, and he ate. He brought some wine and he drank. Then his father, said, his father Isaac said, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went close. I think he's still suspicious. In other words, get closer. He kind of is, he's saying, kiss me, but he really wants to smell him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, remember those kind of woodsman, outdoor, sweaty, gamey attire? He says, oh, it is him. So he's going to bless him. He blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field the Lord is breast. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. So he's trying to bless him with crops and things. Then he goes on, and this part is more like the blessing God told him. May nations serve you, peoples bow down to you. Here's the part he never should have said, though. Don't miss this one. Be Lord over your brothers. Don't forget, he thinks he's talking to Esau. So he's telling Esau, be Lord over your brothers. He's trying to flip God's promise backwards. It's not his promise to give. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. In other words, you're going to be the strongest, the most powerful, you'll be in charge. Does that sound to you like the older will serve the younger? No. He's trying to manipulate the whole story like the mafia. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So a lot of that blessing is just echoing what God had promised first to Abraham, also promised Isaac. Now Isaac is trying to illegally give it to Esau, but it's not Esau. See, God tricked the tricksters. God was behind the whole Jacob thing, I think. He knew what they were doing. You can't fool God. They're trying, but it's failing miserably. But he literally has no right, no right whatsoever to promise that to Esau anyway. Just to remind us, let's put the verse up. I keep saying two chapters ago. Let's look at the verse in 25. We'll read it together. Here it is. This is the promise to his mom, and really Isaac was there hearing it too. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. But here's the real key. The older will serve the younger. Esau will be lesser than Isaac. Esau will serve Isaac. That's why he's got no right to do what he's doing. He's going against God. Let's keep reading verse 30. 
After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too had prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so you can give me your blessing. Well, Jacob's hidden sin doesn't stay hidden very long. This is probably, it says, a few minutes later. It's all going to come to light. Verse 32, his father Isaac asked him, who are you? I just blessed you. Who are you? I'm your son, he said, your firstborn. I'm Esau. Verse 33 says, Isaac trembled violently. I want to stop right there for a second. Because I've read this verse before, and in my mind, that tremble violently was like he was angry, he was upset about being tricked. But I really studied it further, probably for the first time, to look at what the word means. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's an Arabic word that's really like a bunch of like phlegm clearing your throat noises. It might kind of gross you out if I did it up here. I think I might could do it, but it might not be so good to hear, let's just say, especially on a microphone. But I will tell you what it means. The word means you're so afraid, you're shaking in absolute terror. You're terrified. You're not angry at all. You're terrified. You're horrified. You're fearful. I mean, the most fearful you could possibly be. The same word is used other places in Scripture. Remember the story where God spoke on the top of Mount Sinai to the people? And they all quaked and shivered and, and fell down on the ground. They were horrified and scared when Moses was on top of the mountain. That's the same word that's used right here. So Isaac is not mad. He's deathly afraid. Why is he afraid? Because he's busted. He knows that God knows. That's why he, he's not afraid of his sons or his wife. He knows now instantly in his heart, God knows what I did. God knows. God does know when we sin, doesn't he? You can't hide things from God. They should all know this by now. But he also knows his plan has failed, nothing's going to work, and God's original plan can't be thwarted. All of his scheming and manipulating and trickery is going to go for naught. Let's keep reading. Esau's not happy, though. Verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But then Isaac replies, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau's upset because he's lost what he sees as his wealth. It's not the blessing he cares about, it's the financial piece. Then look what Esau says next in 36. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he, once again, not the heel catcher? Isn't he the deceiver? Isn't he rightly named deceiver? He deceived me, is what he's really saying, if you think about it. This is the second time he took advantage of me. That's not true. Because look what he says next. He took my birthright. He didn't take it. You traded it. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. The blessing was not yours to have. He really has taken nothing twice. Once you traded it, the second time it wasn't yours to give. Then he asked his dad, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? He's really twisting once again. He's making excuses, trying to make it look like he's the good guy. I think verse... Um, 
There's a verse in chapter 25 that will make us also understand why it says, you know, Esau I hated. Let's look at this verse on screen. Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. This is when they traded. This is the trade that he says he stole it. Traded, he ate and drank, got up and left. But here's the part I want to look at. Look how Esau felt about the blessing. He despised his birthright. Despised it. Didn't care about it. That's why he traded it for what in our mind is so little, a bowl of stew. He didn't just not value it. He says he, God's word, not my words, God's word says he despised it. Is it making more sense why he, God hated Esau? Because here, here's the thing I would tell us to kind of really think about. If he despises the birthright, I just said while I go that the birthright and the promise are inseparable. They're intertwined. They cannot be parted. If he despises the birthright, he despises the promise. The promise, remember, is he's going to bless you with a, a nation, land, and really all nations will be blessed through you. So if you really think about it, knowing what we know in the New Testament, it really says, in my mind anyway, you can make your own mind up, Esau despises Jesus, he despises God, he despises the inheritance. He doesn't know about Jesus yet, but he despises God. Jesus is God. He has no care of anything godly. He was called godless by God's word. He only wants it back now because he imagines there's some financial gain. He's being selfish. And here's another key to think about, really. The blessing mainly is a spiritual blessing. There is a piece of it that's kind of financial. It does say, I'll bless you with crops and animals and things like that. But the main part of the blessing is spiritual. A nation, a land, and all nations will be blessed through you, through the Messiah. It's a spiritual blessing primarily. That's a part he doesn't care less about. So if you're taking notes, our next point to take notes on, spiritual blessings are invaluable. You cannot put a value on God's spiritual blessing like Esau is trying to. The imagined value of our material blessings, our stuff, our possessions, our 401, our cars, our houses, our things, at best, those are temporary. You can't take it with you. We've all heard that. It's yours for a little while, but God has loaned it to you to use for his kingdom. He's focused on that piece of it, the financial piece. He still doesn't care about the spiritual part. That's why he's godless. Let's keep reading. Verse 37. Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you. No, you didn't. God did. We just read that. The older will serve the younger. You imagined you made him Lord. That's what God wanted. You're just doing what God ordained is what you're really doing. I have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with, new, with grain and new wine. What can I possibly do for you, my son? And he's saying this, it seems to me anyway. You have to read in almost like it makes me wonder, what was his body language? What was his tone of voice? In my mind, he's filled with regret. I can't. I've, I've already made him lord over you. He's probably regretfully saying that. But he's really guilty, they both are, of trying to outmaneuver God. Really, guys? 
You can't outmaneuver God. Neither can we. So then Esau keeps begging. Look what he says in 38. Do you have only one blessing, my father? Just give me one. Just bless me too, my father. Then he wept aloud. He's only weeping because of the lost possessions. They're not tears of regret. He doesn't regret trading his birthright. He's not running tears of repentance. He's not trying to be a good person. He's weeping over the stuff. So a good way to think of it, I think, these are the tears of a selfish two-year-old. He's throwing a tantrum. This is Esau throwing a tantrum. He didn't get his way. He had his, all, his way figured out. He thought he had him. Him and his dad had this plan. But God. Keep reading. His father answered him about this blessing. Here's the blessing coming in this part. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness and away from the dew of heaven above. Remember, that was part of Jacob's blessing. You will have the earth's richness and the dew of heaven. And what that means, really, if you think about it, in other words, you, you're going to be a nomad. You won't have a fixed place to stay. You're going to be a nomadic hunter-gatherer, which is probably something he would be okay with, by the way. He was known for living that lifestyle. It continues kind of line up with what his character is. Verse 40 says, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. Exactly what God said a long time ago, two chapters ago in 25. But when you grow restless, here's, here's a slight promise blessing. You will throw his yoke off your neck. In other words, you're not going to have to serve him forever. You're going to serve him, but you will eventually get out from under that yoke. Look what his really takeaway, though, is in 41. What does Esau feel about that blessing? Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, which was his rightful blessing. Don't miss that. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, dad's going to die, but we already talked about it. he's going to live 40 more years. Then when dad's dead, I will kill my brother. I'm going to kill him because he stole my stuff twice. Other translations, I'm reading NIV, he's, it's, he says, my, my verse says he held a grudge. Other translations say he hated, he hated his brother Jacob. Why does he hate him? It's not just a blessing, though. I think it, it shows us, once again, Esau's character. Two things kind of jump out at me as I study this. Envy, he wants, he envies what Jacob got. Pride, he wants to be first. He wants to be the favorite son. That mama's boy got my first place. He's envious, he's prideful. And what's his final answer? Murder. I'm going to kill him. We see Esau's heart all through this chapter, don't we? It makes us kind of have a lot more understanding of what God, God knows. God knew this would happen in the womb. Because the world will sometimes question us. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I have. How could God judge an unborn child in the womb like that? How did he say he hated that kid before he ever came out? Because of this. Because he's going to grow up and want to murder his brother and marry Hittite women and do a hundred other things God told him not to. So what's, what's mom do now? Remember, mom orchestrated the whole evil plot. Let's see what mom does in 42. When Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, I'm going to kill him, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. 
Now then, my son, do what I say. We've already heard that one, right? Do what I say, boy. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while. I'll tell you what for a while means in a second. Until your brother's fury subsides. As we keep going through Genesis, and once again, Bible historians have done the math for me, for a while is 20 years. He has to glee for 20 years. And here's the other sad part of this story. It's not crystal clear, but it's pretty much provable by lifespan and other verses that mention both names. Most really smart Bible scholars believe that Rachel never saw him again. He never sees mom. Mama's boy never comes back in her sight because she's going to die. He will see Isaac, but by then, Rebecca's dead. Which brings up our last point if you're taking notes. They're all out of God's will. That's pretty clear. So being out of God's will is a choice, but being out of God's will is never good, never, never, never good, and it comes with a high price. Rebecca's trickery and scheming and Jacob's deceptiveness means those two will never see each other again. And they loved each other. That was her favorite son. Remember, I keep saying mama's boy over and over. That's the price she paid for this. That's the price Jacob paid for this. But I already mentioned the real sad truth to me. He already had the blessing. They didn't have to do this. All they had to do was sit back and cross their arms and let God go to work. It was his blessing from day one. Because they tried to help God, they never saw each other again. Let's keep reading. Verse 45, we're almost done. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back. But it never happens. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So, if we kind of really think about the story tonight, they've all been up to no good. They've all four been tricking each other. Some of them don't know they're part of a plot, but most of them do. They're all scheming against each other like the mafia or like a soap opera. But that's not the worst part. They're really all scheming against God's will. God's will is their biggest fail right here. Not that they're tricking each other. They're trying to trick God, if you really think about it. Of course that's not going to work, and it didn't work. Let's move down to our last couple of verses. Verse 46. Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living. In other words, I almost want to kill myself because of these Hittite women, these pagans that Esau has married. If Jacob takes a wife from among those women of this land, from these Hittite women like these, my life won't be worth living. Now, we're going to have to wait till chapter 29. Pastor Day is going to teach us that he doesn't marry a Hittite, but you have to come back in two weeks to find that out, to find out who he does marry. But as we close, we're going to pray in a second. I want to close with a couple more slides. Let's contrast, because to me this is a great comparison. In the Old Testament, Jacob is a patriarch. We know that term. He's the hero of the faith. Let's compare Jacob and Jesus. Now, nobody's going to measure up. But it just shows you in a way how much Israel missed out on not recognizing Jesus. They elevate Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Look at, the, look at the contrast. What did Jacob do? Prepared a meal to steal a birthright. 
What did Jesus do for us? Last Supper, he prepared a meal to give us his birthright, to give. One was trying to steal, one was wanting to give. Let's look at another one. That's just, we got three. Jacob stole his brother's identity, put animal skins, covered himself like a sacrifice. What did Jesus do? He took on our identity, not, not his brother's, took on our sin. We're sinners, right? That is really our, if you're really honest, that's our identity. We're sinners. He took our identity and covered us, not with a goat skin, with his blood, to sacrifice, not to steal, to sacrifice. One more, then we're done. Jacob's goal from the get-go was to steal his brother's blessing for himself. Selfish gain. What was Jesus' goal? To give us his blessing, his father's blessing. To give. One's goal was to steal. One's goal was to give. The Jewish nation, Israel, missed it. It was right in front of them. All scriptures point back to the Messiah. He was with them. They treat him terribly. They elevate Jacob. They devalue Jesus. They call him a good prophet at best. We have scripture to show us the truth. We're going to pray, but maybe tonight, you know, as you've heard all this, you're thinking, you know what? That Esau guy, I've kind of been like that every now and then. I've done some Esau moves. I've been like Rebecca. I've deceived, I've lied, I've stolen, I've walked away from God. Even Isaac, the, the father, the patriarch, we saw how he tried to manipulate and outsmart God. Maybe we hadn't done that like they did, but maybe we've tried to be the boss of our own life. We thought we knew better than God about what to do for us. If that's you, we're going to pray you to close. Come see me tonight. Let's pray together, let's pray about it, and you just rededicate your life and say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Because here's the other great news, is we're going to see it pretty, pretty good next week, by the way. Genesis is a story of forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. These same guys that keep messing up are the patriarchs. Remember last week, if you were here, we learned that God saw Abraham as being in complete obedience. Even though we don't quite see it, that's how God sees him, because of justification. God sees us the same way if we put his son Jesus first and quit trying to be the boss of our own life. So let's pray. Lord, tonight we love you. Thank you for these stories to teach us what not to do, Lord. But Lord, tonight, if anybody's watching or listening I and mean, they need to rededicate their lives, I just pray, Lord, you would nudge them through the power of your Holy Spirit just to put you first, to pray a prayer either in their seat or maybe up here with me in a few minutes, that they would just rededicate their life back to you to say, I don't want to keep making my mistakes and trying to run my life. I want to live my life God's way in a way that would please him. So Lord, you help them make that decision. It's through the power and blood of your son that we are all saved. So Lord, if anybody needs to know your son tonight, let them just pray that prayer once again or come see one of us. We love you. We thank you. Jesus, we need your help to do life right. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for that sacrifice we just saw as we compared you with Jacob. We can never repay that debt. 
but we want to obey you more and help us do that through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See you this weekend.